0: How should Christians respond to the moral and cultural revolution that's happening right before our eyes? You're listening to Mark Harrington on The Mark Harrington Show. The Mark Harrington Show is brought to you by Created Equal, and you can support our work by going to createdequal.com. And you also follow the program by going to MarkHarringtonShow.com. You can subscribe to our program on YouTube, follow us on Facebook, and on all the popular podcast platforms. So today on the program, I want to talk about three responses to the moral and cultural revolution that's happening right before our eyes. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because after the Biden administration assumed power on January 20th of this year, I got to thinking about what is the goal of the pro-life movement specifically at this point? Uh, We've now seen 48 straight years of unabated child killing in America. And it, it was a time for me to reflect on where we've been and where we're going as a movement And as the head of Created Equal, obviously, it was time for me to take some inventory on what's going on in the country. And it just brought to my mind why we're doing what we're doing and what's the goal for the pro-life movement. And so I asked that question and I got a lot of different responses. A lot of people would say the goal of movement is to save babies. And that's true. It is in part. Uh, people would say the goal of the movement's to change hearts and minds. That's true as well. And that's what Created Equal does. Some would say, well, it's just to regulate abortion, uh, not to outlaw it. Well, I think all those things are, uh, you know, have some merit, but the goal of the pro-life movement has always been to outlaw abortion, to criminalize it. Uh, and it still should be our goal even today. Now, almost 50 years after the, uh, decision of Roe versus Wade. So I want to today, I want to talk about the political realities that uh, we face and assess those uh, in the, in, and try to give a kind of state of the uh, pro-life movement. Uh, and I want to analyze the three possible responses that we can have to what I think we're witnessing in America, and that is a complete, total, moral and cultural revolution. So when we look at the three possibilities to the reality of what we're seeing politically and culturally and morally in America, uh, there are really only three. Uh, The first, I think, is this. Uh, This is the first response we could have, and that is that we can be idealistic and naive and kind of bury our heads in the sand and ignore what's going on in culture and just keep doing what we've been doing for 48 years. Uh, And and frankly, there are folks in our movement that continue to do that. They have the same narrative they've had for the last 10 years, uh, and that is that we're winning and that we're making progress. Uh, In my opinion, if that's the point of view that you have, then you're really not paying very close attention. Uh, I think in many respects, if you hold the position that Roe versus Wade is on the cusp of being overturned, uh, that we're winning the, the abortion debate. Uh, in my view, that is at best wishful thinking, and probably at worst, uh, not being truthful, frankly. Uh, and there are people out there that hold that view, that we just need to be uh, keeping the narrative that we're winning, Uh, and that we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade and abortion is going to be outlawed uh, pretty soon and so forth and so on. But I think that's naive and I think it's a little too idealistic. Now, it's okay to to look at our victories. There are plenty of those out there. But the truth of the matter is we are seeing a moral cultural revolution and I don't think we can be naive to what's going on. So that's the first response. We can be idealistic and naive. I think that's the wrong position to take. The second one is we can be pessimistic and cynical about where we are. In other words, if you look at where we are, you could say, well, we're losing. Uh, Or you could even say the pro-life movement has lost. Now, I don't know if I want to go that far and say that we've lost, but we certainly are losing in that we have not brought legal protections back to unborn children. We have not criminalized abortion. You can say what you wish about the pro-life movement. We've done a lot of good things in the last 48 years, but we have not achieved the goal. And so some people get cynical and they'll get negative about that. They'll get pessimistic and they'll just hunker down and say, you know, I'm going to give in, give up and just kind of wait it out. And hopefully things will change and and we can have a, a comeback at some point. Well, I don't think that's the proper response either. I think the third response is really the one that we should take based on where we are, and that is that we need to take a sober assessment of where we are based on the facts on the ground and plan accordingly. In other words, we need to take the long view. We've been in this for 48 years. It's not going to change overnight. America is still sharply divided on abortion. We haven't lost, but we haven't won. But the battle is still taking place in America, unlike any other place in the in the world, in fact, most Western nations, uh, abortion is hardly even a topic to be discussed. I mean, it's just a, a fact of life. Uh, the fact that the American people uh, that, that are still discussing this, the pro-life movement is still in the battle, and the American people are still listening to us, is in of itself victory in some regards. So that's our view that we take a sober assessment of where we are, take a real. Clear look at reality and plan accordingly. Uh, If you look at where we are, uh, I would say that we are in a Romans 1 world. And what I mean by that is America is a rebellious nation. Uh, Just look around us. Everywhere we go, uh, we're seeing a rebellion against God Almighty. We've abandoned Him and we are reaping what we sow. Romans 1 talks about that three times. It says that God gave us over, to a, uh, to to, three times he said God gave us over, and he said God gave us over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to to degrading passions, and to a depraved mind. Uh, I think we are living in a Romans one America, and that is where we are. uh, We have been given over. That God has given us over. To these things. In Romans 131, it says that people will lack natural affection. Uh, Think about abortion. Think about how we treat children today. Uh, Mothers lacking natural affection. It's going to become unusual soon uh, for for mothers to have children, probably. It's going to be frowned upon by uh, culture at large and uh, we're seeing that more and more. If you don't, if you're a a, a, a woman and you are uh, thinking about having children, you're almost looked at in a disdain. So here's the question: How do we affect culture? How do you and I affect culture in a nation that kills its children and is under judgment? And. The answer that I believe is the the appropriate one is that we need to have a long-term vision for victory. Uh, That means that uh, victory may not be seen in my lifetime. Uh, It may not be seen in your lifetime, but we need to be like the men of Issachar, which the Old Testament says understood the times and knew what Israel should do. There should be people in our country, leaders, Christian leaders, who understand the times. That means they understand the the past, the present, and they can look into the future and project forward and tell us what to do. Uh, that's why I think we need to be sober in our assessment of what's going on. We can't have rose colored glasses on and say we're winning and be naive, nor should we be p- pessimistic and say it's just time to hunker down and head for the hills. Neither one of those is an appropriate answer or response to the moral and cultural revolution. And our mission needs to be consistent and not change despite uh, which way the political winds are blowing. You know, for the last four years prior to Joe Biden, we had Donald Trump in office. And for the most part, the political winds were at our back. Uh, Donald Trump did some good things for the pro-life movement. But in one election cycle, that's all wiped out. And so whether we have Joe Biden or we have Donald Trump or anyone else, we need to understand the times and know what we should do uh, despite the political winds. So what would the strategy be? What should it be? What should the long view be? What should we be working for in the midst of what we're witnessing, which is a moral and cultural revolution right before our eyes? Well, first of all, we need to know what a strategy is. What is strategy? We talk about strategy and we talk about tactics, strategy and tactics. There's a difference between the two of those. Strategy is the overarching overarching steps that we take to achieve a particular goal. It's the long-term vision of what we're doing. It's the vision and goal. It's the general idea. The tactics are the specific actions that we would take or steps to achieving that goal. So we may have the overall vision of bringing legal protections to unborn babies, which would be the strategy. But how do we get there? How do we get there? We get there by the use of tactics. And those tactics can change over time, and they probably should. From the position of created equal, one of the things that has not changed is the tactic of the use of abortion victim photography. We believe that that tactic is necessary to educate and to prick the conscience of the nation and cause it to repent. And so we believe in that tactic. We also believe in the use of the gospel. Now, that's not really a tactic. That is, that is it. That's all of it. But we believe that we need to bring those both together. That is the the, the sharing of the gospel along with the sharing of the truth of abortion using victim photography. And that's why we go out on the street using large photographs and video of abortion procedures. Now, if you don't believe me, you listen to the, uh, the great social reformer, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who wrote in his letter from the Birmingham jail, he said this. He talked about creating tension for the purposes of bothering people to get them to think. And he said this, quote, nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and foster such a tension that a community, which was constantly had constantly refused to negotiate, is forced to confront the issue. It seeks to so dramatize the issue that it can no longer be ignored. Dr. King talked about creative tension. And the way we do that, is the use of abortion victim photography. Now, what he did is he staged large protest events in which he knew white racists would react in a particular way. And he had that filmed by the major media, and that changed America. So, the reason we use abortion victim photography is because social reformers have historically done it. And su- successful social reformers have always used images of injustice to dramatize. Um, the victims. The other reason is is that it's a way of loving our neighbor. Uh, Unborn children we can't actually meet uh, because they're not here. They're either in the mother's womb or they're killed by abortion. By, By showing these victims, we stand in solidarity with them and share in their suffering. So the two reasons why we use victim photography is because it works and because we love our neighbors by doing it. Now, don't believe me. Social reformers throughout history, and I do an entire talk on this, have used victim photography to make their point. The best known example of that is the story of Emmett Till. And Emmett Till was a young boy, um, and he lived in, uh, in Chicago with his mother in 1955, and he wanted to go visit his uncle, his great uncle, in Money, Mississippi over the summer before he went back to school. And his mother was very hesitant to send him there for obvious reasons, because Emmett was African-American. And uh, back in those times, you know how they treated African-Americans in the South. But she was a praying lady, so she decided to send Emmett to uh, Money, Mississippi. But she gave him a couple rules. The first one was this. She said, Emmett, I don't want you to ever speak to a white person unless they speak to you first. She also said, never look at a white person in the eye. Rather, look at their feet or the ground in deference or respect to them. And then thirdly, he said, if, so, if a white person follows you or comes up to you on the sidewalk, step aside and let them pass. And then thirdly, if you go to the local store to get your favorite treat, which in this case was, a, was bubble gum, don't put the coin on, in the hands of the white clerk because white does not touch black in uh, Money, Mississippi in 1955. So Mamie Till sent Emmett uh, to Money, Mississippi, and it didn't take long. Emmett uh, went to the corner store and said some inappropriate comments to the white clerk. We don't know exactly what happened. But within uh, several days, at 2 a.m., Emmett was taken at gunpoint out of his uncle's house, and it was the last time he was seen alive. And his naked body was found in the Tallahatchie River, uh, wrapped in a around a gin fan, uh, uh, with Bob wire to weigh him down. Now, the coroner in Money, Mississippi, did not want to uh, send the the uh, the body, the the casket to Chicago without sealing it. And the reason why he wanted to seal it is because he didn't want America to see how white people treated young black men in Money, Mississippi. So he tried to seal it completely shut. Uh, we understand that because there's an effort even today to suppress the truth about abortion or any other injustice that's uh, politically incorrect or supported by the general culture. So at the funeral in, in, um, in Chicago, Mamie Till, his mother, was surrounded by reporters who were asking her about this and they asked her, they said, Mrs. Till, Mrs. Till, are you going to have an open casket uh, open casket service for your son? And which she said, yes, I am. And they said, but Mrs. Till, don't you understand the condition of your son's body? Why would you do that? And she said, quote, I want the whole world to see what happened to my son. That weekend, 50,000 people streamed by the casket of Ma- Emmett Till at his funeral. And Mamie Till's courage brought this before the world. These images were uh, put in uh, major newspapers across America. Uh, these photographs made it into the public conscience, uh, and it changed America. These images, and it was the it was the uh, the courage of Mamie Till to be willing to open the casket on racial injustice that changed America. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, if this were ever to happen to one of my, parent, uh, my, my children, I, I don't know if I could have done that. Uh, her courage changed the, the world, changed the country for good. And so it should be with abortion. We should be willing to open the casket and show people what's happening to our children. So and that's why we use the tactic of abortion victim photography. Uh, it's the only way to reach a culture that's in denial that does not want to come to the reality of what's going on. Words, are, words alone are inadequate. Despite the fact that we might have the best arguments, they aren't good enough to change enough hearts. You have to prick their conscience in order to change them. The other reason is that we need to be a prophetic witness, that is, warning the nation that the shedding of innocent blood destroys nations. There is no coincidence as to why what's happening in America is just not happening in a vacuum. There's a reason why we're seeing death and destruction in our streets. Uh, I believe it's the judgment of God. I believe it's a, we're in a Romans one world because of the shedding of innocent blood. And one thing that can bring us to repentance is the images of abortion victims because no other thing could communicate that as quickly uh, in, as in a victim photo. Now, a lot of people object to these. And even after 50 years of legalized child killing, people still disagree with the tactic. And they say, Mark, you know, this just turns people off. And they'll say, what about the children? What about post-abortive women? And and doesn't this just dehumanize them further? Well, let me take a minute and unpack each one of those. Uh, One of the comments we get often is that abortion victim photography Uh, is inappropriate for children, that they should not see them. Now, let me be clear here. Uh, Our organization does not target children. We don't go to daycares or elementary schools. We avoid them as as much as possible. But we understand in a nation where the public policy is, is abortion, that is the legal public policy of our nation, our government, when it's killing babies, then they should be shown and seen publicly. And unfortunately, as a result of that, children are going to see them on occasion. Uh, we don't intend that, but it's the alternative is worse, is that is we're going to censor ourselves because it's possible that well, children might see these. Again, we don't target them, but it's been my experience over the years that children get it. It's the parents that don't get it. The children get it. Often they'll come up to the photo and look at it and say, Daddy, Who hurt the baby? Who hurt the baby? It's that simple. Children are innocent. They understand what they're seeing. And if they're given the response that most parents would give, and that is, "Uh, honey, this is a very evil world, bad things happen, uh, and bad things happen to children. But I can assure you, what you see in that photo will never happen to you. That gives the child security, it doesn't cause stress or trauma. If they're if it's explained in the context of a loving relationship with your child, now if the parent's pro-abortion and excuses it and says, "Oh, that's not real and that's fake and these people are evil," to me, that's the thing that could traumatize a child, not the uh, the image itself. So the bottom line is this: we are more pro-feelings than, or, or I'm sorry, pro-life <laughs> than we are pro-feelings. That is. We realize, in order to get the message out, that we're going to hurt some people's feelings, including children, but we're not out to do that. We don't target them. And Mark's our experience is that children respond uh, as they should, innocently, Uh, like we all should, but unfortunately, parents, adults, have built up these uh, sophisticated coping mechanisms to deny what they're seeing. One of the other reasons people give is, what about post-abortive women? Uh, here's the bottom line. First of all, there are a lot of things that can remind a woman of her abortion. A vacuum cleaner can remind her of her an abortion. Uh, a, a a bumper sticker that says "Choose Life" or uh, "Abortion stops a beating heart" or anything like that. Any one of any number of things can remind them of their abortion. Uh, an abortion image can too. But the bottom line is this: if we love them we are hopefully trying to spare them from a second, third, fourth abortion. Forty percent of all abortions are repeat abortions. Uh, is it, uh, to me, it's unloving to warn them of their to, and to prevent them from killing a second or third child. So we believe that there's healing. We believe that uh, women who have had abortions can uh, recover from that and if you couch it in the, the belief uh, and the understanding that post-abortive women uh, can repent, that they can receive fa- uh, uh, forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then there is hope for them when they're reminded about their abortion. Now, finally, a lot of people would say, well, it just turns people off. Well, here's the bottom line. If, if a person doesn't have a functioning conscience they can look at this and blow it off and say, oh, that's, that doesn't bother me and make all the typical arguments against it, right? But there are people out there that do have a functioning conscience, and when they see these, they respond appropriately. Unfortunately, there are fewer and fewer out there like that. Uh, we live in a nation right now that's in denial about child killing. And one way, the only way, in my opinion, to wake them up is to show them the truth about it. So you know, we believe you can be uh, you can, uh, that people might hate you, but they also might hate abortion too, when you show them a photo. And so it's this notion, which I think is wrong, that you must be liked to be effective as a social reformer, as a pro-life activist. Uh, I think it's in, in, a, in a, uh, it's wrong to believe that you have to be liked to be effective. No social reformer who's cutting against the grain of culture is ever liked. Uh, Many of them lost their lives over their stand. And so it is with abortion. If we're trying to be liked in order to be effective, we're neither going to be liked or effective. Uh, Anyway, that's, that's the history of social reformers, right? They're always hated by the dominant culture. And so it will be with us. So let me finish off by saying this. The real reason people Try not to or, or refuse to use abortion victim photography to me is because of fear. They're afraid. They're afraid what people are going to think of them. It's the fear of man. They want to be liked. They want to be liked. They don't want to, to people to think of them wrongly. In some ways, they want to be nicer than Jesus when it comes down to it. And if if that's the case, then you're in the wrong business. You're in the wrong business and you need to find something else. We need to trick abortion like murder. It is murder, and that's how we should act. It is a Holocaust. We need to act consistently with it. And then finally, the gospel, which I don't have a whole lot of time to share uh, about tonight, but we we obviously combine the preaching of the gospel with the tr- preaching of the truth of abortion. The urgent, which is saving babies, versus the important, which is saving souls. We try to do those both things at Created Equal. So uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, God bless you. God bless America. And remember, America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to MarkHarringtonShow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.